0: Welcome to Monocular, a storytelling podcast where I offer you a one eyed look at the distant and not so distant past. More than any of the others, I feel that this episode is really able to speak for itself, so this time I won't force you to listen to a super long intro. But I do want to give a grateful shout out to my wife, Mary, who did the cool drawing I'm using to promote this episode. On top of that, her voice also makes a miniature cameo towards the end of the story. So, besides her, Monocular is written, performed, recorded, and produced by me, Michael Elpick. If you go to monocularpod.com, You can learn everything about the show, and you can also support the ongoing production of Monocular by becoming a patron for just $2 a month. If you want to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review, that's also a most wonderful way of supporting it. Monocular is a Tarotown Storyworks production, and for more information about the company, a one-stop shop for all kinds of storytelling, please visit tarotown.com. All right, that's it. Here's the story whose title is a highly subtle reference that you may or may not pick up on. Dark Sarcasm in the Classroom. Teachers belong to a special category of people in everyone's life. The best ones become inspiring mentors whose wisdom will resonate with you for years on end and potentially the rest of your life. I feel lucky to have had quite a few of those over the course of the two decades I ended up spending in school. The worst ones, however, end up becoming traumatic blueprints for all the frustrating and even horrible people you get to meet from then on out. In my experience, there are two kinds of horrible teachers. There are the teachers who are simply lacking so much in academic skill that you feel that they ought to sit among the students instead of wasting everyone's time. Then there are the ones who might be quite bright academically and know how to teach effectively, but who are lacking severely in their ability to deal with the social and psychological aspect of being a teacher. Teachers who reinforce negative stereotypes, willfully ignore bullying, and practice blatant favoritism. I had myself one of those teachers, and not just for a short while, for nine years straight, from first through ninth grade. In Denmark, a vast majority of kids attend public school, and unless your parents move or some other extraordinary circumstances happen, you're with the same group of 20-plus kids starting in kindergarten and then for the ensuing nine years. There are plenty of reasons why this isn't a good idea. For one, it gets quite awkward around the sixth or seventh grade when you start having crushes on girls who have known you since you were six years old. But in a more general sense, it's a setup that inhibits personal growth. Whatever role you got to play in your class at the tender age of six or seven, and whatever hierarchy is established among you and the other kids, is incredibly tough to change. The concept of a fresh start does not really exist in Danish public school. It's a school system I'm otherwise very fond of. I just wish that everyone would be forced to switch schools once or twice over the course of those 10 years allowing the other kids as well as the teachers to get to know you anew, rather than keep you socially locked in whatever awkward box you build around yourself during those early years. To be fair, there is actually a system in place that generally switches out the teachers starting from the sixth grade. The thing is, however, that this particular teacher I had turned out to be the exception to this rule. Not only that, Instead of simply continuing to be our math teacher, he was upgraded to also becoming our homeroom teacher, or the Danish equivalent thereof. That is, the teacher who is the central figure and authority for the given class of kids. The teacher that goes on all class trips and is the point person for all communications with parents. And, most importantly, the teacher who is responsible for creating the best possible environment for the class as a whole and each individual student ensuring that everyone is thriving academically as well as socially. As it turned out, my teacher was not exactly up to this task. My place in the social hierarchy was quite quickly established. With one eye less than everyone else and a painfully obvious lack of athletic talent, I was an easy target for bullying. For periods of time, it was a daily occurrence, and since I was never going to grow out a new eye and since my athletic skills didn't significantly improve, I didn't feel there was much I could do to change the foundation of what inspired the other kids to bully me. The bullying consisted of threats about poking out my other eye, being peed on in the shower after P.E., When the bullying led to me quitting handball at the local sports club, which a lot of kids in my class also attended, the bullying at school went meta. I was bullied about quitting because of bullying. Now, this is not to say I didn't have a few good friends in public school, too. I did, and there are plenty of good memories about fun friend hangouts, too. But I clearly remember the feeling I had towards the end of my 10 years of being a student at this public school. Extreme guilt about potentially having to put my own kids through the same experience. However, I know that improvements have been made to the Danish public school system since I left it. Anti-bullying theater is a thing. School psychologists play a bigger role, and there are systems in place that make teachers join forces in order to ensure the general well-being of students. I'm not sure these various efforts could have turned my teacher into a less horrible figure, but it certainly couldn't have hurt. Sadly, there are no specific systems in place in the late 80s and most of the 90s, during which I spent almost every single weekday throughout the school year in his company. The issue wasn't simply that he was passive and skeptical when faced with the various issues that plagued not just me, but quite an array of kids in my class. Rather, the issue was that he actively participated in enforcing the social hierarchy among his students. For me, that meant that I wasn't simply at the bottom of the hierarchy in terms of the other kids, but also in terms of how he viewed and treated me. I never really understood why he was out to get me. More or less all other teachers seemed to like me, and I did quite well in terms of math, which he was teaching, so I couldn't have been the cause of too many frustrations in that regard. Now, a handful of years after I finished public school, I spent about eight months as a substitute teacher at a different school, which did, indeed, reveal to me how tough it is not to play favorites at all. Some kids simply are more frustrating and challenging than others, for a variety of reasons. But I had no professional training on how to deal with this, unlike my own teacher, who nevertheless exercised favoritism to an undoubtedly unacceptable degree, and one I never experienced any other teacher do. A recurring theme was his lack of belief in my academic ability. I always felt I was among the smartest kids in class, but he had his favorites picked out. This made it terribly difficult to demonstrate my academic ability when any effort I made was put down or disregarded by default. When the final math grades were handed out, that is, the results of a big national test which he had nothing to do with, he did so individually, one by one. When he got to me, he read out my name, only to express significant disbelief that I had, in fact, aced the test. During class, if I was placed next to one of his favorite kids, and that kid would talk to me and I'd respond, he'd immediately single me out and scold me, even in situations when it would have been obvious to everyone that the other kid was the instigator. His most special trick was to train my parents into thinking that things were great between me and him. He was never nicer to me than during parent-teacher conferences, and he felt genuinely sympathetic towards me, which in turn could also trick me into thinking that perhaps he actually liked me more than seemed to be the case during class. For instance, he used a parent-teacher conference to talk to me about his computer back home, which was acting up. I was the best at computers in class, and everyone would come to me with their problems. My teacher had never approached me about his computer problems before, but then, all of a sudden, in front of my parents, he thought he'd cater to my interest. I was genuinely intrigued about the problem he described, and afterwards I went home to do my best to figure out what the solution might be. I showed up in school the next day, happy to share the solution I had come up with, but there were no parents to play his charade in front of, and he expressed a thorough lack of interest in what I was saying. I realized I'd been duped. At another parent-teacher conference, I brought up the significant issues I was having with another kid in school. A kid who'd constantly spit in my face and had even written on the wall that Mickle must die. I started telling my teacher about what I thought was a pretty serious situation, but to no avail. He quickly interrupted me and brushed off what I was saying with the simple, Yeah, we're all sick and tired of that kid. And that was the end of it. There were definitely times when it didn't make life easier on myself. Such is the time when we'd all been forced to go on a quite long bicycle ride. I wasn't exactly a fast rider, so on the way back, I fell behind everyone else and ended up rolling home alone. On the wrong side of the road, however, which definitely isn't the smartest thing to do, and of course, I should have known better. As I was pedaling along, my teacher drove past me in his car, which was full of kids from my class whose bikes had punctured during the ride. He rolled down the window and mockingly yelled at me. Do you not know the difference between left and right? I can't know for sure how the kids in the car reacted, but I assume they laughed along with him. I agree that it was one of my sillier moves, but I was astounded that he felt he was in a position to mock me in front of all the other kids. It strayed far from what his role as a teacher was supposed to be, I felt, as it placed him on the same level as the students, helping to solidify the low social status I was already struggling with. It reminded me of a different situation when another kid was unfortunate enough to be hit right in the nuts by a mini-golf ball. Rather than helping the kid, my teacher roared with laughter as the kid screamed in pain and broke down crying. All in all, my teacher seemed to think he was a representative of the athletic and, shall we say, more conventionally attractive members of the class. Those of us who looked a little funny, genetically or fashion-wise or both, and we were more likely to trip over a ball than score an impressive goal with it, were simply relegated to a lower social rank. Of course, it's natural to surround yourself and prefer to hang out with people that somehow remind you of yourself. It's not incomprehensible to me why he was more naturally drawn to the athletic kids than the computer geeks, but to blatantly pick winners and losers the way he did never seemed like a legitimate luxury to have for someone in his position with that kind of authority. The final interaction I would have with him for quite a while came during the graduation ceremony. The headmaster performed a glorious and uplifting speech for all of us, which was followed by him calling us out one by one. The homeroom teacher for each class would then hand out our diplomas and shake our hands. When my name was called, I stepped forward, received the diploma from my teacher, put my hand towards him, and as he shook it, he asked me with a whisper, Couldn't you have worn some nicer clothes? In the years that followed, I would run into him every now and again. I was an angry young man in my late teens, and I refused to even acknowledge him. Initially, he would greet me normally and then probably be somewhat surprised when I'd just walk straight past him. Later, he'd loudly and mockingly say things like, Oh yeah, you don't want to say hello to me. Which didn't exactly suggest that he'd ever stop to wonder why I was behaving the way I was. Several more years passed, and at one point he went part-time and opened up a little store in the tiny downtown area of the suburb that my parents still lived in. My dad would much to my frustration, frequent the store, and one autumn day in 2006, eight years after graduation, my dad passed along a greeting from my teacher. He also relayed the conversation that they'd had. It had focused on my teacher's motivation to continue in the teaching profession, which was largely based on the fact, as he phrased it, that no one had ever called him quote-unquote stupid. I was quite struck by this. Not only was it a peculiar way of phrasing things, It also seemed unbelievable to me that no one had ever called him that, considering the hundreds, if not thousands, of people whose lives he had affected, counting students, parents, and colleagues over the course of a multi-decade career. I didn't do anything about it, though. Not initially. But about a week later, I saw a documentary on the Danish public school system and the aforementioned anti-bullying efforts. It led to a sleepless night, which, in turn, filled my head with all kinds of words I wanted to say to that old teacher of mine. So I got out of bed, turned on my computer, and I started to write. I told him about the greeting I'd gotten from him via my dad, how no one had called him stupid, and how I interpreted that to mean that no one had ever pointed out that his approach to teaching had been problematic. I explained that this didn't add up with my personal experience, which he might have gathered from my unwillingness to even acknowledge him in the interim years. I admitted that my way of dealing with things had been somewhat pubescent, but that I had concluded that i never have anything to do with him again, so why even bother being polite? I explained to him that I had an urge to share the things I would not have been able to phrase properly six, seven, eight years prior, and how I hoped that he wouldn't simply discard my words, even though they were not particularly flattering to him. As such, my goal in terms of writing him was, now that I was an adult, to defend the person I had been as a child. Then, in a patient, long-form manner, I described it all to him. My social status, which he helped cement. The threats of having my eye poked out and graffiti stating I should be killed. Getting peed on and spat on. Being bullied. Being meta-bullied. His lack of caring about the obvious issues in my class that were far from limited to me. His consistent favoritism of the athletic kids, His disbelief in my academic skills. His ongoing charade during parent-teacher conferences. His mocking of my graduation outfit. I stated that I wasn't expecting an apology, but that I'd been thoroughly provoked by a statement that suggested he'd only ever been praised for his teaching efforts. I told him that I could be the first person to then call him stupid, but, as he could probably tell, that wouldn't have been quite sufficient. I also stated that I didn't expect him to write anything back of a similar magnitude, or even to try and justify his past actions. Not that he couldn't defend himself if he felt the need to do so, but that I understood that the past would remain the past regardless. As such, my biggest wish was simply that he'd take my words into consideration and contemplate his future as a teacher, which would then hopefully lead to creating a better experience for other kids than the one he had created for me. I reassured him that I wasn't thinking about him all that much in my everyday life, and that traumas from bullying and having had a low-tier social status didn't really shape my life. In fact, high school was a considerably better experience, and once I got to university, I even felt quite popular. I told him that every now and again, I would think with gratitude of my public school experience— since it had put things into such a significant perspective that I could now thoroughly enjoy being both liked and respected, even though I was still a Cyclops with no athletic abilities. I finished it off by saying that if he'd read that far, he'd already won a significant amount of respect from me, and I thanked him for doing so. In the end, it totaled 2,500 words. I sent them off to him via email. Got mail. The next day, his response arrived. He expressed regret that I seemingly only had bad memories of my school and of him. He stated that he only had fond memories of the class I was a part of, but that he had been made aware that my experience had been different. He also stated that my letter had given him something to ponder, and that while what I was describing was what I felt, it had not been his intention. He then finished it off by expressing happiness that I'd made good friends in my adult life and he wished me all kinds of good luck in the future. I'd expected him to play the that wasn't my intention card and as such I was neither relieved nor disappointed. The lingering feeling simply became that after nine years of very consistent behavior towards me it wouldn't cut it to simply state that I'd misunderstood his intentions. There was more to it than that. There is that dark sarcasm in the classroom and the feeling that, at the very least, he should have left us kids alone. No wonder that Pink Floyd's The Wall became my favorite album before my age was even two digits. Not only did he supply me with bricks from my own wall, he also showed the other kids how they could supply me with some bricks, too. Nevertheless, I never finished building that wall. Some sections of it, sure, but as I grew older, I believe I managed to turn them into rubble. Mostly. The further away I got from public school, the clearer it became to me that the people that turn out to be the most interesting, engaged, and supportive humans generally didn't have a particularly fun time in school. In fact, it seems to hold up that if you struggle to make friends as a kid, you're probably much more appreciative of the friends you do make as you grow older. I'd even go so far as to say that, at this point, now that I'm on the other side of all those years in public school, I wouldn't want to be without them. That said, it would have been nice if the bullying could at least have been limited to the other kids and I hadn't had a teacher who felt like he should join in. Oh well, you'll live and you'll learn. Eventually.